Joseph was an incredible man. He loved God from just his childhood. He's one of the few people in the Bible that nothing, really nothing, is bad about him. Now, we know he was not sinless. He wasn't perfect, but he was a good guy. And we're going to see that as we go through. So today, I want you to look, first of all, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, 28. And yes, this does go along with the story of Joseph. Romans 8, 28. And here's what it says. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That is one of the, one of the most important verses in all the Bible. Every Christian ought to get familiar with that verse. And you know why? Because, and I, I hit this a good bit last Sunday, but I'm going to hit it again because it is so important. Because in our walk with God, we are going to face difficulties. We're going to face problems. We're going to face hardships. There are going to be things that happen in our lives that, that can easily confuse us, that we don't understand. Probably all of us at one time or another either just to ourselves, maybe to other people, have, maybe even to God. We've asked the question, God, why did you let this happen to me? How many have not said that or at least thought it? God, why did you not let this happen? Why did you let this happen to me? Especially when we're young Christians, but I think every Christian goes through times when they wonder, God is so great, God is so powerful, God can do anything. We hear that all of our life. Why did he let this happen to me? And it's something we need to understand in our walk with God that not everything that happens to us is going to be good. Not everything that happens to us is going, we're going to like it. And it's very important that our faith gets to the place, and it's something that you have to grow into, believe me. You have to grow into it, to a place where you can actually say, no matter what happens in my life, God is good, God is with me, and God's going to take everything that happens to me and use it for my good. We were talking about this in the men's group on Wednesday night, and I brought up several people in this church that have gone through some, some very, I mean, all of us have had problems. All of us have had probably some major things, but there's some folks in this church that have gone through some major, major tragedies. And when I look at them, what I'm amazed at, and I'm not saying it was easy for them to go through these things, but I look at them today and I see people that love God as much as they ever loved God, they serve God as much as they ever served God when it would have been easy for them to say, well, if this is the way God works, I don't want any part of him. Don't ever get to that place. You may feel that way. If you do, talk to God about it. But this is so important that we understand this. And I love the way that verse is. There's several parts of that verse that we could really focus on, but I don't want to take all the time for this. First of all, the, at the end of that verse where it says, called according to his purpose for them. Now, you can get pretty deep into that, but just basically, that's talking about all of us. Every one of us. God is calling every one of us to himself. He is going out through the Holy Spirit to draw us. That's not people that have a special calling to pastor or to be a missionary. That's for everybody. God's calling everybody to himself. He wants to call everybody. He wants to draw everyone to himself. So don't let that be a major part of the verse. It is important because what it's saying is, listen, God is saying to us, listen, I love all of you. I'm calling all of you to come to me. And because of that, 
I am going to cause everything that happens in your life to be used for your good. Now, another part of that verse that is very important is the first part where it says, and we know. We need to know this. We know. Paul was saying, hey, we know this. What it says to me is we all need to know this. We need to get it in our mind, get it in our heart that God is going to cause everything to work together for our good, even the bad stuff, even the bad stuff. There are so many bad things that happen that turn out to be wonderful events in the lives of of so many people, and we need to understand that. So know it. What does that mean? It means faith. And we know is saying, I need to believe this. I believe this. I believe that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. I I think we should take it like this and make it a personal verse. I know that God causes all things to work for my good. God's going to make everything work together for my good. I believe that. And then the last part that makes it true is where it says to those that love God. Does that exclude anybody? Yes. For people that don't love God, God's not going to cause everything to work for their good. So it's very important that we love God. And how do we know that we love God? Jesus told us how to know if we love God. John 14 and 15, it says, if you love me, obey my commandments. So if you find yourself wanting to obey God, if you find yourself reading the Bible to find out how God wants you to live and how God wants you to do and how God wants you to treat people, then you probably love God because you want to please Him. You may not always get it perfect, but in your heart, you know that you want to please Him. If you love me, obey my commandments. That's what God is saying. So here we're starting out this story, three Sunday series on Joseph. And you know why I'm using these verses? Because you're going to see a man that went through some horrible things, but God caused every one of them to work together for his good, not only for his good, but for the good of hundreds of thousands of people. And we're going to see that in a couple of weeks more and more, but we need to go back to the beginning. As I told you last week, I haven't done very good in, you know, we're kind of doing a series actually for a few months now on the great Bible stories, the great stories of the Bible. And uh, I, I really can believe I've been following God, but I haven't been very good at being chronological. So last week I was preaching about Jehoshaphat. Remember old Jehoshaphat? I love that name for some reason, Jehoshaphat. Just sounds good. I was thinking this week, if I were to change my name, for some reason I've always wanted to change my name to Joe Smith. Doesn't that sound good? You know why I would like to change my name to Joe Smith? I don't think anybody would ever ask me how to spell it. But you get on the phone these days, what's your name? Brad Fussell. Would you spell that for me? And then I get stuff in the mail. Fuffle. Brad Fuffle. So anyway. The story of Jehoshaphat was like a thousand years ahead of the story of Joseph, maybe 1,500. So we're going back in time as we look into the life of Joseph and all the things that he faced as he was going through this life. And it's a wonderful thing to look and see what God did in Joseph's life, God will do in your life. There may be things that are happening to you that you would consider really, really bad and if you're not careful, you're going to miss the, what God's doing. In 
And right in the middle of it all being bad and you being depressed and discouraged and, and mad maybe, right in the middle of all that, all of a sudden God speaks to you, the Holy Spirit says, hey, remember what the Bible says. I know this isn't good, but I hadn't forgot you. I haven't left you. I've got something planned for you, and it's gonna, it couldn't happen without you going through this very difficult time, through the valley of the shadow of death, so to speak. It may be a physical problem. It may be financial. It, who knows what it might be, but you can apply anything you go through to this. So to get started, we've got to have a little bit of groundwork. We've got to talk about Jacob. You see, Jacob was Joseph's father. And Jacob, there, there's so many things about Jacob that we could share. But I'll just tell you a few things. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Remember Abraham? See, we're going way back almost to the beginning, the beginning of Israel. And, J and Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Remember, God told Abraham, leave your homeland and go to a land that I will show you. So Jacob had four wives. Jacob had four wives, so, that, so we know that he wasn't, no, 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 I don't need to say that. I know today we think, well, why did God bless him? You're not supposed to have four wives. Well, there's all kind of different ideas about four wives and, and this and that, but, you know, for one thing, God told him to replenish the earth, and you can replenish the earth a whole lot quicker with four wives than you can with one wife. And why don't we get to have more than one wife? You know why? Because we're smarter. <laughs> when you got a good one like I got, you don't need any more. So let, let's just, yeah. And I mean that. And all the men in the building would say the same thing. So we don't need to get in the theological ramifications of four wives and <laughs> I read a little too much about this I'm telling you and I'm trying not to get into that part he had 12 sons and one daughter his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel and his name was changed to Israel I want you to hear about this from the book of Genesis 39 excuse me the book of Genesis chapter 35 and verse 9 now that Jacob had returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants. And I will give you the land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. Then God went up from the place where he had spoken to Jacob. Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoken to him. Then he poured wine over it as an offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil. And Jacob named the place Bethel, which means house of God, because God had spoken to him there. If you've ever been driving through the country, you'll see a lot of churches here and there, different denominations named Bethel. We've had a Bethel Assembly of God, Bethel Baptist Church. And what does it mean? It means the house of God. But God spoke to him there for that reason, because God was using Abraham, Isaac, 
Jacob to have all these children to become a great nation. And of course, the nation was named Israel because it came from a person. It came from a man. And all these things that happened, all of these great stories of the Bible, all of these great stories about Israel, all from the Old Testament, you know what? They're all about us. They're all about God. They're so far far beyond just one person. As we go through the life of Joseph, you're going to find all these things that happened were not just about Joseph. They were not just for his benefit. They were for the benefit of all of us. And that's why the Bible is so important. That's why the Old Testament is so important because God put the nation of Israel together to bring a Savior into the world. And the Bible says clearly that God used Israel to bless the whole world. Israel was not designed by God to be somebody that the whole world hated almost as they do just about the whole world, it seems, hates Israel today. God put Israel together not even just to have a special people that he would bless without blessing everybody else. God put Israel together to be a blessing so that God could bless the whole world through the Savior that came and through many other means. That's what God's plan was all about. So Jacob is very important in the story. He had the 12 sons, and one of those sons' name was Joseph. And let's read about that. Genesis 37 and 1. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Well, why didn't they tell us what it was? (laughs) I mean, they did some bad things that we know about, but what about all these other things? In other words, I guess if we have anything to say about Joseph, he was a tattletale. I don't know if he did it in a bad way. I don't know if he was supposed to do that. But you know whether we look at it now. But I'm going to tell you this. There are things that need to be told. we got a few students in here today, and I want to tell you, you know, we don't like to be called a tattletale. And I remember when I was in school, you know, I even had teachers, don't be a tattletale. Well, hey, these kids are giving me a hard time. Well, that ain't the way it was. It's actually reversed. <laughs> I was the one that they were telling on. But, you know, we live in a day where there are some things that need to be told. If you know some things that need to be told, tell them to a, a responsible adult around you. So anyway, Joseph was telling all this stuff about his brothers to his father. Now here we find another thing that is very interesting. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Is that a good idea? No. It doesn't work. Even if it's true, keep it a secret. (laughs) Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. You know why he loved Joseph? Man. I still got it. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Jacob's thinking. So he loved, and I don't know if I meant something bad. I didn't mean nothing bad by that. So let's, Anyway, Joseph, <laughs> Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Skip that next time. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But he didn't have one made for any of his other children. That ain't going to work, is it? It's like giving your one son the latest game machine that's out and, you know, giving your other son one from the 1900s. That ain't going to work. 
Well, me and my wife, see, we, we conquered that problem. We just had one child. So he got all the good stuff. So anyway, Jacob made a robe. And I don't think we can preach about this without me having on a robe. So, <laughs> I might need a woman to come up here and help me get this dress on. Hmm? All right, here we go. Sorry. This might be more of a distraction than a, than a help. So, man, you should be. Because, see, there's so much more to Jacob giving a robe to Joseph than just giving him a, a robe. You see, the coat of many colors, as we normally refer to it as, or the robe, it came with a certain amount of beauty. It came with a certain amount of authority. Matter of fact, I read if it had long sleeves, what that mainly meant was, I don't work, but you do. <laughs> the guy with the robe and the long sleeves and all the fancy stuff, he got to go out and tell everybody else what to do. So that's one of the reasons the brothers didn't like him. Because his, first of all, they didn't like him because his father loved him more than he loved them. Next, they didn't like him because he got the robe his father gave him something special that they did not get. Next was that the robe gave Joseph a certain amount of authority over his brothers. They had to do what he said, even though they never did it. And so this robe, even though this is just a coat of few colors, the one he got was a coat of many colors. And so I'm going to wear this for some reason or another to help you to kind of understand I'd love to be a man like Joseph, and I certainly will strive to be. Boy, this thing is hot. <laughs> and I'm not bragging. <laughs> it's warm. Anyway, let's get away from that and go. 37 and 4, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. They could not say a kind word to him. I believe that's significant because sometimes we have disagreements with people and you know what a part of that so many times is we can't say a kind word about them that should be like a little sign God's not pleased with my attitude and I know there's people out there that are hard to love there's people out there that are hard to get along with there's people that's hard to say something nice about them and you know what when we have trouble saying a kind word to somebody we're probably saying bad words about them to other people and God's not pleased with that either and these brothers, they couldn't say a kind word about him. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. In verse 6, he says, listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up. Excuse me. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up. And your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before me. 
Now, who's going to like to hear that from anybody? Especially, you already hate the guy. He's already the love of the father. He's getting these special gifts. He's getting authority, the youngest, over the older. They don't like him, and so he comes up with this dream. Now, the only thing I can say about that is maybe it was a part of God's plan, but in the natural, I don't see it. I don't see Joseph using a lot of wisdom. God gave him a dream, but I don't know that God told him to tell his brothers about it. Maybe, again, to get everything accomplished that had to be accomplished, the brothers had to get madder and madder and madder. And then, he had a, and then his brothers responded in verse 8. So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen. I've had another dream. Can you just see them shaking their head? Oh, no. Not another one. He said, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what these dreams meant. These were dreams from God. And they were all a part of the plan that was going to be coming up. But these brothers, they hated. You know what they had? They had what we call jealousy. The brothers were jealous of their brother. And you know what? I think it's worth talking about here for a minute. Jealousy. Jealousy is, it's not always about a romantic situation. A lot of times we use the word jealousy between a man and a woman, a husband and wife, boyfriend and a girlfriend. People get jealous, you know, and, that, and that's certainly a time when it can be used. But jealousy can be on the workplace. It can be in the home. It can be on the ball field. It can be in so many places where we are jealous of other people. On the job, somebody might get a promotion that we felt like we deserved. On the ball field, somebody might be a starter when we felt like we should be the starter. In the classroom, somebody else got a better grade than we did, and maybe we get jealous of them. And I imagine everybody, if you're feeling bad right now, probably everybody has jealousy at some point or another. It's like most things and most bad emotions. It's what we allow those things to cause us to do. Because, you know, if somebody gets ahead of us on the job, what are we going to do? We're going to go talk to everybody about them. Well, they didn't deserve that. They shouldn't have got that position. Why did they get that? You should have got it. <laughs> In reality, I should have got it. It's hard to move up the ladder of success because everybody else gets jealous about it. But what is jealousy? Jealousy is a complex emotion that encompasses feelings ranging from fear of abandonment to rage and humiliation. Jealousy is distinguished from envy in that Envy in that jealousy always involves a third party seen as a rival for affection or attention. What is the cause of jealousy? I know some people have more trouble with jealousy than others, but what is the cause of it? If you think you got jealous, I like this, and, and this is something that I copied because I thought it was good. If you think that you got jealous because of the way he talked to her or because of the way she smiled at him, then you are wrong. Jealousy is like most other emotions, it comes from within. When we have these jealous emotions, 
When we have other kinds of emotions that are bad, they make us feel bad, they make us feel other things that are awful. Well, it's not just what's happening on the outside. It's mainly what's happening on the inside. A part of the problem lies within you and not within the person you are jealous of. The following are possible root causes of jealousy. I'm not going to stay on this long, but I feel like it's worth hearing. Jealousy root cause number one is a lack of self-confidence. If we don't have self-confidence, we're easily going to get jealous of somebody else that excels or gets more attention than we do. And that's the reason. It's something going on in, in us. And what we need to do is ask God to have us a, a there, there's a healthy kind of self-confidence that every one of us needs. There's a greater confidence that we have in God. And that's where we need to be. And that's going to help us in all kind of relationships that we have. The main cause for feelings of jealousy are your doubts about your abilities or or skills. If you were 100% sure of yourself, you would have never suffered from any jealous feelings. Jealousy root cause number two, poor self-image. You know, this is a hard one because in Christianity we're taught, you know, that we're not supposed to think more highly of ourselves than we should. And that's exactly true. But there's got to be a little bit of a self-image that, we, that gives and generates confidence in us that we are able, that we can do things, we can do all things through Christ. There's got to be a little bit of that. It's just like pride. There's a good kind of pride and there's a bad kind of pride. There's a bad kind of jealousy. And you know what? The Bible says God is a jealous God. Well, he's not jealous in a bad way. It's just a word that's used that we can understand that he is not going to allow us to have any other gods besides him. That's a word for our benefit, not to describe him. He's not up there thinking, man, I'm, I don't like, well, they're, they're going to treat me like that and go after these other gods. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to be their boyfriend anymore. <laughs> no, that's not what God's doing. What he's mainly saying is, because he's God and not a person, what he's mainly saying is, I'm going to be your God or you're going to have me at all. You either give me everything or nothing. And that's what God wants us to know, that he's God and we're not. We can't have a little bit of God and a little bit of something else. And that's what's messed up much of the world because there's a lot of religions around the world that have accepted God. Some of them have accepted Jesus, but they've all say hold on to all the old stuff in their religion that God wants them to get rid of. That was one of the problems that that Israel had. They wanted God, but they also wanted Baal, and they also wanted the others. And God doesn't put up with that. So, root cause number two, poor self-image. Having a poor self-image is another cause of jealousy. If you believe that you look ugly or that you are not that handsome, then chances are you'll be experiencing feelings of jealousy whenever you meet someone who looks better than you. You know, that's a, I know that doesn't sound spiritual, but that's a big problem in America. A big problem. I've never had it, of course, because I'm like the most good-looking person in the whole world. <laughs> and I hope you know I'm kidding. Is that why you're laughing? Because I'm really not. <laughs> Oh, man, what am I going to do? No. See, looks is something that Hollywood has spread through America that has caused so many people so much pain. You know what? Beauty is really in the eye of the beholder. And I know there's probably people in this building right now that are suffering from that, that you feel like you don't look good enough. You know why? Because you're looking at the wrong places. You're listening to the wrong voices that are saying, I mean, who determines? Who determines what's 
pretty and what's not. We got magazines and television programs and hairstylists and all that kind of stuff, and all of those are telling us what a person ought to look like. We're all beautiful. Understand? You are. Don't worry about your looks. I mean, take care of yourself, clean up, take a shower, use a little deodorant, you know, fix your hair, go to the beauty parlor. Nothing wrong with us doing the best we can with what we've got, but don't get into this thing, well, if I don't look a certain way, then I'm not pretty. The greatest thing is to come to a place, I want to be beautiful in the eyes of God. Not a physical beauty. That's okay. But remember, physical beauty is what's in our minds because you could take what we would think is the most beautiful person in the world in America and take that person to certain parts of the world and people there wouldn't think they're beautiful at all so that's just one example but you can take that the third thing is fear one of the root causes behind jealousy is being afraid this fear can can be a a fear of ending up alone a fear of being rejected or a fear of losing the love of your partner and you know what Most of the things that I have feared in my life, I say most, I don't even know if I can think of any, but I can tell you 99% of the things that I've ever feared in my life have never happened. I was always grew up afraid that somebody was going to break in in the night and do something harmful to me. It's just the way I was raised. But I'm going to tell you, like I said last week, man, you pull that cover, you pull the sheet over your head and everything's wonderful. Man, nothing can touch you under that sheet. But I grew up feeling that way, and it caused me a lot of pain. And you know how many times anybody's ever broken into my house? Zero. Zero. And most of the things that we all fear never happen, but they cause jealousy sometimes because we're afraid of losing our position or losing what we have or losing the relationship that we have with someone else. And finally, the last one is insecurity. All of us are insecure in some way or another. Some people face these four things in terrible, terrible ways, and and they live with a a constant pain in their lives because of them. But insecurity, feelings of insecurity are the result of the two previously mentioned causes. A poor self-image and lack of self-confidence can result in making you feel insecure about a relationship, and this can be a strong reason that can make you jealous. Jealousy can cause us to hurt people. This is when these feelings really get bad is when they cause us to hurt other people. For example, somebody on your job gets a promotion that you think you should have had. What are you going to do? I mean, that doesn't sound like jealousy because like I said, normally we refer to jealousy between a, in a relationship between a man and a woman, husband and a wife. But these are jealousies. We get jealous of people on the job, in the school. And so, yeah, we feel those feelings. And it's not good to feel those feelings, but that's not the problem. What the problem is, is when we have these feelings, what do we allow those feelings to cause us to do? Some people, when they have those feelings, they lash out verbally. And they start talking bad about somebody, either behind their back or maybe to them. You know, I've known young guys that had a girlfriend, and they got jealous of the girlfriend because there was a guy that was talking to her or something. And the guy, in his response to his jealousy, he starts lambashing her, telling her she's ugly, telling her she's stupid, telling her she ain't worth anything, thinking that that's going to fix the problem. And let me tell you something. If there's any young girls listening, if you ever get that from a guy, it is time to break that relationship as quick as you possibly can. And I don't know why the Lord had me to, yeah, go ahead and do it. 
And I'm sharing this because I know God wanted me to share this, what I'm saying about this particular subject right now. When I was praying and seeking the Lord yesterday, it was something that he put heavy upon my heart. I have no idea what's going on with anybody, but I'm going to tell you something, girls, guys, if you've got a girl that's doing that to you, if you've got somebody, if you've got a, a, a relationship and a boyfriend that's really puts you down, really criticizes you, then let that be a sign unto thee. Break it off. You know why? Because if you let it keep going, you'll never be able to break it off. We've been ministering to people over the years. We've had some people that they knew they needed to break up with somebody that they had been with for a while, and the guy would never leave them alone. I'm talking about some horror stories. So I'm trying to give you some good advice. Maybe saving somebody from something. And it may not be a, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. It might be somewhere else. But if somebody is like that, if you're around somebody that's just lambashing you, that is abusing you verbally and especially physically, get somebody that can help you get away from that situation. Can you say amen? amen. So this is what I've said all that because everything I've just shared about that applies to Joseph's brothers. That's exactly where they were. They felt a lack of self-confidence. They had a poor self-image. They had a fear. They had an insecurity. And in their case, they had a real situation, a real reason to feel that way. In many cases, it's just something that we've conjured up in our mind that's not even real. But in their case, it was real. So what did they decide to do? They decided to take their emotional feelings, their jealousy, and they decided to do harm. And we read about that in Genesis 37 and 12. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. When they had gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron, and he was wearing that beautiful robe all the way. He couldn't wait to get out there with that beautiful robe on and stand before his brothers and see how they were doing and show his authority. So he got there. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed his wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here. But I heard them say, let's go to Dothan, Alabama. I mean, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. You know what? I would guarantee you there's a lot of people in prison today in America that are there because of jealousy. They killed somebody that was a threat to their relationship. What a horrible place. What a horrible thing to let it get to that point. Their jealousy had grown into hatred. Their jealousy had grown into bitterness. Their hatred had grown into envy and many other emotions that caused great sin to rise up within them. And remember, they were people that knew God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these these, this father, grandfather, great-grandfather had taught them about God, had passed this on down. So they wasn't like, they wasn't like the heathen of the world. These were God's people, and they still had all this hate. They knew his commandments. And so here's what they said in verse 19. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, 
Let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we will see what becomes of his dreams. Can you see the anger? Can you see the hate? They just wanted to get rid of this threat. And many times in our life, that's what comes to our mind when we feel threatened by someone. Let's just get rid of the threat. If we can just get rid of them, everything's going to be all right. And some people take it to a, a, a terrible thing where they actually do commit murder. Verse 21. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother. <laughs> That's interesting. After all, he's our brother. Let's not kill him. Let's just send him off with these Ishmaelite traders. Is that an, oh, how, how soft-hearted they became so suddenly. So, when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Now, I don't know exactly what the meaning of this is, but I want you to remember something. We got Abraham. Remember Abraham? Sarah, his wife, couldn't have any children. And so they came up with this great idea. Sarah said, Abraham, I want you to have a child with my handmaid. And so he did what he was told to do, you know. He had a child, and the child was named, remember what his name was? Ishmael. You see it, right? Y'all are kind of getting it. Ishmael. And so later on, Ishmael was a substitute. Ishmael came about because of a lack of faith. Instead of trusting God with the promise that God had given to Abraham and Sarah, God had told them, you're going to have a child, and you're going to have a lot of children, and you're going to become a great nation. The, your children, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky or the sand in the sea. That's how many are going to come from you. But nothing was happening. They had a promise from God, but they had no children. And so finally, after a while, their faith got weak, and they came up with another plan that Abraham would have a child with another woman, and he did and they named him Ishmael. Later on, God, at the right time, gave them a child through Sarah in their old age, and his name was Isaac. So we've got Abraham, Isaac, and then we've got Jacob on one side, but then on the other side, we've got Ishmael and his descendants. And so here comes this caravan that's really, in one sense, family. So maybe you can tell me later, what's the significance of this? I think the significant, I kind of see this, this like this. God's up in heaven, and God is saying, I've got a plan, and it's a wonderful plan. And even the Ishmaelites are going to be a part of this plan. Or maybe God was thinking in terms of 
You know what? The Ishmaelites are a substitute. But I'm going to have them be the ones that carry Joseph to Egypt because that's where he needs to be. And they just happened to come along at that time, right? Just a coincidence. No, God brought them there at just the right time. So, we get back to verse 29. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone. What will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders and the Midianites and the Ishmaelites were were the same. The Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. Now, next week we're going to get... That's where we're going to take it up. Joseph in Potiphar's house and what happened to him there. But I want you to see this. I want you to see all that Joseph was going through. Joseph loved God. Joseph was chosen by God to do something very special that would save the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So you would think, many people would think, well, Joseph was so special His life had to be beautiful. His life must have been wonderful. God would protect him from every little thing that would come along. But you can see already what he's been through. He's been hated by his brothers. He's been bullied by his brothers. Not only when they threw him into the pit, but even before that, they were doing all kind of bad things. And he was the result of it. He was the brunt of it. They were pouring it out upon him and against him. And then he goes out. To, to his brothers to see how they're doing. And you know what? It's hard to know from what information we have what his attitude was. When he gave the dreams, was he up there saying, hey, one of these days you're going to be bowing down to me? Or did he have a dream and say, wow, I don't know what this dream means, but I'm going to share it with my brothers and, and maybe they can help me understand this. We don't know what his attitude was. But the truth is God was with him. And God had a special plan for Joseph that was going to change the world. I'm telling you, change the world. A plan that was going to save thousands and thousands and thousands of people from dying. That's what God was doing. But God was not only doing that. God was in the middle of a plan that God had devised from way back probably before the foundation of the world. And this was something that was going to happen not only in those days, but it was going to affect people for years and years to come. And Joseph was going through it. But look at the hardship that he faced. Can you imagine being thrown into a a deep well? That's what a cistern was. It was a well. Didn't have any water in it. And he's down there in this well probably thinking, I wonder if there's any snakes in here. I wonder if there's any spiders in here. What's going to happen to me down here? There's no food. There's no water. What am I going to do? I'm probably going to die here, and they're just going to leave me here to die. 
That's a horrible thing to be going through. That's a real, genuine problem. But I believe, even though the Scripture doesn't say it, I believe he was down there in that well giving glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Then they come and pull him out of that well. Take him over to these Ishmaelites. Sell him as a slave. And I don't think the Ishmaelites were going to treat him very well. They probably tied him up and had him walk behind the wagons all the way down to Egypt. He was going to be a slave. He knew where they were going. He knew what they were going to do. They were going to sell him as a slave. And he was going to have to work and labor for somebody and be treated horribly for the rest of his life. What's going on through his mind? But I believe in the middle of it all as he's walking behind that wagon tied up with a rope, probably tired and hungry and thirsty, he's probably saying, glory be to God. God's got a plan. Attitude is such a little thing that makes a big difference. And our attitude of faith in Almighty God can make the difference in our life. I want to tell you something. If you're going through a hardship right now, a hard time, ask God to give you a good attitude about it. You don't have to like it. Man, you might want to say, I hate what I'm going through, but God's got a plan. And not only that, but God's going to use it and cause it to work for my good. Did going in that well work to Joseph's good? Yes. Did being sold as a slave into Egypt work to his good? Yes. And we're going to see that more and more and more. And I want to remind you of what I started with today. I can't even tell you how important this is. If there's ever a verse for you to memorize, memorize this verse. Meditate on this verse. Every time you have a problem, just say Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. It's not always easy. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment?